0: We really didn't have any plans or intent on doing real estate investing or renting or anything like that. But we knew it was going to be a fixer-upper and we were both pretty crafty. You know, her father's a carpenter, my father's an electrician, so we had that working for us. Two times that we lived in this house, we rehabbed it while we were living in it. We started kind of reading some books and, and figuring out that we can actually, you know, make some money off this thing. You know, at the end of the whole rehab, we had turned it into like a really nice, um, you know, vacation type home, which we're currently doing Airbnb with right now.
1: Tyler Hespler, a local realtor and real estate investor here in the Mystic area. It all started when he and his wife bought a fixer-upper home and discovered that there was the potential to make money in real estate. One thing led to another, and now Tyler invests in real estate and helps other families on their own real estate journey. Let's learn from Tyler Hespler. I'm here today with Tyler Hespler. Uh, he's a realtor with Berkshire Hathaway and does a bit of real estate investing. How are you doing today, Tyler?
0: Hi, Michael. I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. So tell us how you got started in the, the world of real estate.
0: So yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it really started out uh, probably a couple of years ago. My wife and I had gotten engaged um, and we figured the next thing that every engaged couple does is buy the house, right? So we um, we bought our first house in Mystic, kind of in the downtown area, and we really didn't have any plans or intent on doing you know, real estate investing or renting or anything like that. But we knew it was going to be a fixer-upper, and we were both pretty crafty. And um, you know, her father is a carpenter, my father's an electrician, so we had that working for us. Um, and yeah, as we kind of we lived in this house, we rehabbed it while we were living in it. Um, and we started kind of reading some books and, and figuring out that we can actually, you know, make some money off of this thing. And you know, at the end of the whole rehab, we had turned it into like a really nice. Um, you know, vacation type home, which we're currently doing Airbnb with right now. And it's realistic. Nice. So, and so kind of doing that had given us kind of a plan to, you know, we, we created a plan and now we're kind of doing this on a long-term basis. Um, and we bought a duplex in Fox Duck that we're kind of rehabbing right now. and We're actually living in one unit now. So, um, so we're doing that and we have, we just finished up a pretty big rehab in that other unit. Um, it's rented out. So yeah, it's going pretty well. And we've kind of learned, um, you know, kind of the ins and outs. And, you know, along the road there, I, I got my real estate license a little while ago and kind of at first with the intent of using it so I can kind of get into houses quicker and, and, you know, help me on the investing side. But, you know, over time, really developed a passion for this business. And now it's just real estate full time agenting and investing. <laughs>
1: And so, so what were the what were the uh, surprises that you encountered in uh, in rehabbing that first house
0: Oh, that was a surprise right um, I would say the by far the biggest surprise we faced um, was the house did it did have a septic tank which uh, when we bought it we were told it was an estate so there wasn't a property disclosure and going into this the, the first house you know no background whatsoever we were just completely mm-hmm. newbie newbie home and So we kind of went with what the listing had said, which was you know city sewer, and didn't (laughs) bother doing a septic inspection. Um, And then come to find out, we had purchased the house, talked to a a neighbor, talked to the neighbor, and then she was kind of saying how yeah, I have a tank. I'm pretty sure you have a tank too. Called the town, no record of a you know a sewer tax. So then I was like, (laughs) oh boy. Um, and And it should have been a red flag. I mean, I remember doing kind of a walkthrough in the the pipe went out the back of the house which was kind of weird you know, usually if there's a sewer main that's going to go towards the main road um but, you know, we figured there was a, a you know a bend in it somewhere or something um so long story short we went back and forth um you know with the sellers couple it took a couple of months but it all got resolved it, it all got um the sellers took care of it we're very grateful for the experience but it was a uh, a lesson you know in the future um just and I do this with my clients who always call the town, even if it says, um, city sewer, you, you want to confirm that, just to make sure there's there's a tax that property's paying a tax for the, uh, sewer, because it could have been, and we found out actually that the tank, it not only was it, not only was there a tank, but it was actually, it was like vastly undersized. It was, um, mm-hmm. it was like already at the point of failing and it was just, it was, it was a mess. So, um, We actually ended up having it completely ripped out a brand new one put in place. And, um, it worked out for us in the end, but we were getting nervous because we weren't sure, you know, who was liable for it. Um, but you know, those are the things that you come across and it's, you know, there's things that you would never expect to happen. And, um, every transition is going to be a little bit different.
1: And so if if someone were to, were to hear that and be like, yeah, I'm pretty crafty. I'd I'd like to buy a house and rehab it. What are, what are some tips that you'd give them to, that would be good to know getting started?
0: I would say, um, I would say patience. Um, It's patience is key. Um, And really, I mean, once you get a couple of tools, you can YouTube almost anything right now. I mean, I mean, I mean, and not just with real estate, I mean, fixing a car, there's, there's a a video for everything online. Yeah. And then what we learned after that first house, and I think, you know anybody doing what we're doing is um, you kind of learn what you're good at and what you like doing and then you learn what you suck at and what you hate doing so then the second house we had purchased we um you know we kind of hired out the stuff that we're not good at and um that's, that's kind of how you learn along the way but um i would say i mean my biggest piece of advice is it's definitely not for everybody um i mean it's there's a lot of glory that comes with it but at the same time i mean you know, you're living in a construction zone for a while. You have this house, the first house, it was down to the studs, and you can see right up into the ceiling. So um, it's definitely a uh, – it, it's not for everybody, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, living in, living in your construction site and living in your work too. I imagine it's, there's some yeah, stress in that as well.
0: You come, come home late at night and your lights are off. You're kind of tripping over tools and everything else in the kitchen. So um, it's, it's very rewarding. I, I wouldn't change a thing, um, but – you know, so we've had, we had friends come over and it's like, yeah, how do you guys live like this? You know, so, um, I mean, we enjoy it, but, uh, it's definitely not for everybody.
1: <laughs> in some ways, just practice for having kids instead of tools, you'll be tripping over toys. And
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Preparing them.
1: Kids <laughs> will, kids will actually knock holes in walls too. Um, yeah. and so you're, you're, you're now a realtor. Yep. And, uh, is there a particular specialty you have in that or is it not, uh, you're sort of a generalist?
0: Yeah, I and mean, I would say, um, yeah, I do. I, I've met a couple of investors, you know, doing and going to, you know, the real estate investing meetings. So I do have in that sense kind of a trained eye with investing. And, um, but yeah, I, I do a lot with, you know, first time home buyers or you know, just anyone looking to buy a house as a house and not necessarily an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of a, the benefit I had had gained from, the, you know, doing the whole investing thing first was kind of knowing what's behind and having that group of contacts and, um, and yeah, so I'm really, uh, I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I'll, I'll, I have a very vast array of uh, different clients. So.
1: Okay. And what are the, the, the biggest pitfalls you see people falling into when they're, they're buying and selling homes, you know, things that they might not expect that, uh, that you can warn them about.
0: Um, I mean, the biggest pitfalls, I mean, there's there's always going to be a surprise. Right. Um, I try to tell people y- you never know. I mean, with this market, especially right now, I mean, every time I do a listing presentation, it's it's more I mean, the the houses right now, they're in that really desirable area. They're going quick because we can talk about supply and demand, um, mm-hmm. but it's just right now, it, it's a it's a very it's a very kind of tough market to gauge. Um, from the investment side I have, I have one property that's listed right now it's an investment property a two unit and what i see kind of among investing properties is you know, somebody looking at a property as an investment i don't think they're as urgent to buy right now as you know the person who's going to go for that three four bedroom house in Mystic, um because there is a little a bit of uncertainty in the market um but i, I try to tell people you know look we're going to list this thing to be on the market for 10 days or 100 days just you're know, looking at Previous sales and what previous houses have done. Um, what I'm seeing now more so is these houses. I know the last listing I just did in Mystic. It's on the market for two days, and we had you know, tons of showings, and we had our, we had accepted the final offer within three days. Um, and that, and again, that's in that area that's just highly desirable right now.
1: Right. And. But it is, in general, of course. You know, I, I know it's a very, very strange time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so some people think they can save money, you know, listing their home themselves, and and they're like, "What's a realtor do? I can do that myself." Um, so, what is your advice to someone who thinks that they can can do it themselves, and why would they want to hire a realtor instead of going it alone?
0: Sure. I mean, I'll never try to talk somebody, you know, too much out if, if somebody wants to list it for sale by owner, um, I'm, I'm happy to talk to them. But oftentimes, there's a reason they're doing it for sale by owner. Um, but I would just say, you know, what comes with if you haven't listed a house before, I mean, it's, it's a lot you're dealing with, you know, you have everyone knows and it's a big property inspections, appraisals, and just constant back and forth between, you know, the other agents. Um, and then, you know, prior to that, and, and it's really it depends on the agent, like I, you can as an agent, you can really put as much effort into it as you want to um, you know what I did recently and kind of a, you know, when I saw this whole thing changing to, you know, the whole virtual tour thing is um, you, know, you buy a 360 degree camera and you can do floor plans. So like, from my point of view, I do a lot with I, I kind of do a lot of myself, you know, pictures, floor plans, uh, measurements, virtual tours. Um, that takes a lot of time. And um, then you, of course, you hire you know, professional photographers. You have the um, the drone footage. So, I mean, there is a lot that goes into it. Um, obviously, it's not impossible to sell the house, you know, privately as an owner. Um, but I would bet you would be, I, I would bet a lot of people would be surprised at how much work actually goes into the sale. And 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 outside of the work itself, it's just understanding the contract, understanding all these different, you know, the, the papers and all the different um, documents that get sent. Um, that's, that's really what we're kind of trained to understand and, 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 uh, you know, kind of show our clients how, how the process happens.
1: Yeah. It seems like a, like a dicey proposition to go through that whole legal process right without, uh, without a guide.
0: I mean, it's like anything, right? If, if, if I'm not, you know, a plumber, but if I want to, you know, plumb out my sink, I can, you know, look into it and research and figure out how to do it and buy the materials and I can do it. It's just a matter of convenience. And, it, and if it's something that you know, I would rather hire out than I'll hire it out. It's, it's, you know, everybody's different and, um, however, however it works for each homeowner.
1: Yeah. So, so on the investing side, where are the opportunities that you're seeing?
0: So I would see. I would say on the investing side, um, I just, I, I, I love investing in real estate as a whole. I mean, you look at all the pros of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. when I buy, I, I make sure that the deal will cash flow, cash flow at least you know $100 a door or $200 a door if it's a single-family home. Um, but what I, when I look at it as a, from a long-term perspective, which is what my primary goal is, it's long-term investing. Um, you know, and in 30 years, this product will be worth more than it is now, and I'm not going to put a ton of money into it. I'm, I'm using these low-down payment loans right now, and I'm having tenants pay off. That mortgage, um, and, and looking at the duplex one right now, so you know we're paying a little bit. It's as we're living in it right now, it's not cash flowing because we're taking up one unit. Um, but no matter which way you slice it, we're still saving a thousand dollars off of our mortgage. And mm-hmm. you know, you look at expenses as a whole. Typically, the cost of living is you know the biggest expense you're going to spend money on. Um, and then obviously our plan is going to move out of it. We'll have another tenant come in and then it'll, it's going to cash flow. And I know I mentioned earlier, coming from an engineering background, just being super analytical. Um, so That's kind of my strong point is making sure those numbers work um, before I buy. Right. It's, it's making sure that those numbers in the cash flow and that the deal is going to work um, before you go ahead and make the purchase.
1: Now, is this something you do as a realtor as well? You work with investors to figure out that math? Yep.
0: So I, I go through. Um, actually, I created a calculator I kind of use and I it, it, you can kind of input just just the numbers on it and it spits out um you know what the mortgage payments going to be and all these factors for expenses um and, and it'll give me it'll give me a return and it'll give me you know my um my cash flow and that's going to tell me what that what that deal is going to do um, obviously you know nothing's there's there's going to be emotional side to it as well um but you try to prepare for the worst and, and make sure that at that, in that scenario, um, the property is going to go through. Now, nobody could have predicted that there's going to be, you know, a pandemic that could cause, you know, rent uh, to stop being paid. Um, But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we're doing pretty well. Um, We can talk a little bit about a little bit about the, um, you know, the short term rental that we had, which took a little bit of a hit, because that's more of a vacation type thing. And those things during this whole pandemic um, really saw a pretty loss all around. But it's like, like I had said, um, whenever I buy for a vacation rental type home, like a short-term rental, I want to make sure those numbers are going to cash flow um, on a long-term basis. So if it doesn't work out um, as a short-term rental, I can always have that safety net of using it as a long-term investment and it's still going to provide cash flow for me.
1: Yeah, and, and that seems like something important to recognize for someone who is going to invest, mm-hmm. is they need to have the cash available that if they have to pay the pay the mortgage for Three months or six months, because it's vacant, or they're evicting someone, or there's a pandemic, that uh, they they should not they they need to have that cushion and can't just necessarily rely on the the house's revenue to pay the mortgage all the time.
0: Exactly, and like I said, everybody's different. I've met people who are completely fine with actually taking a bit of a loss. I mean, I I would rather see cash flow, but um, I've met people that are okay with you know paying into it a hundred dollars a month just because at the end of 30 years it is still an investment that's um that's you know obviously a different perspective on it um mm-hmm. you can kind of look at it as more of a stock market type sense you're putting money into it every month but the yep. way i look at it you know another reason for real estate is you know you put this money down not only am i not paying into it every month but it's actually rewarding me every month and then at the end of those 30 years i'm still getting that investment back
1: yeah i think there's something too about just being a a property owner that just has a very visceral i Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in colonial times, you had to own property to be able to vote. So you yeah. know, something about owning property is like a very real kind of investment as opposed to, say, stocks or bonds or some other kind of paper.
0: Yeah, I've definitely heard that for sure.
1: Um, and also, you know, if you meet someone and you say, I, I own a number of properties, people say, oh, wow. As opposed to if you say, I own a large stock portfolio, they're like, la-di-da.
0: Yeah. And that's that's definitely what happens. And that's one of the reasons I I really enjoy. We have these um, Southeastern Connecticut real estate investing meetups. And Mm -hmm. just like you said, like, you know, around my family and friends and like, you know, they think we're killing it right now because we have, you know, two properties and it's, it's, you know, it sounds like a lot if you're not into real estate,
1: but you go,
0: you go to these meetings and you just get so humbled because, you know, I go from, you know, the person that, you know, everyone thinks is killing it because I have two houses to these meetings where people, I'm the low guy in the totem bowl, so to speak. Right. So it's, and it, it, there's just always something more to learn at these, at these meetings. And it's, and, and I, I just try to listen as much as I can.
1: And you said, Tony, uh, how's you going to average about a hundred dollars of profit a month?
0: Um, so that's, I, I like to go for a hundred a door. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing, and, and that's kind of the worst case scenario type thing. Um, yep. and that's the joy of doing that. We're, we're, we're doing, um, a little better than that right now, which is a great thing.
1: Um, I assume that's the net of maintenance also.
0: Yep. So we factor in vacancies, capital expenditures, maintenance, repairs, yep. all that fun stuff because they happen.
1: <laughs> hmm Yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, cause I think people do have the idea of, as I said, you, you won't do properties. You must be rich. Um, okay. which I think you also kind of see that in the, in the public discourse where, you know when, when the covid crisis happened a lot of people saying hey we we need rent forgiveness we need mortgage forgiveness just just make people not not pay the rent for three months and thinking that it's all these these fat cats who are owning all the properties that the rent will be paid on and not realizing that it's it's uh you know you're not all zillionaires who are who are these houses
0: no that's definitely true And, and i remember that 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 was a pretty big scare that came out when they had originally said it was uh july 1st the um the eviction emitorium and um you know obviously like with everything when you first hear something like that you're gonna have there's gonna be fear and no matter what market you're in um i've heard overall about 94 percent of tenants i think it's on a nationwide basis have paid their rent um mm-hmm. connecticut was a little behind that i think we're expecting around 17 percent to um to not have paid i think it's in may i'd have to double check the numbers on that but um and, and it's it's not a surprise i mean when something like this happens you really don't mm-hmm. know what to expect um but for everyone i've talked i mean things have seemed to go pretty well i think this whole thing was handled pretty well um in terms of these and making sure everybody still gets paid and, and things continue to go pretty smoothly um i can think of a country going from 3.5 percent unemployment to 14 percent unemployment going a lot worse than um, how yeah. it is right now so Um, and we're starting to see some traction We're definitely, you know, things are opening up and I I like to have an optimistic view of how things are going to turn out. Um, but end of the day, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen and we just kind of have to take it one day at a time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds the way. And I imagine there's probably some people who took advantage as well. I, I've heard some stories of, of people who, uh, weren't paying the rent before suddenly saying, Oh now it's now COVID. I can't pay the rent. They're like, okay, cool. Why couldn't you pay rent in January and February?
0: Yeah, and the, the same with um, the actual forbearance. I mean, people—they were forbearances were a thing prior to COVID-19, and um, I just read a statistic recently that only 33% of delinquent mortgages were in forbearance pre-COVID, and now yeah. those numbers are close to like 85%. Um, so it's you know, things were happening beforehand, but overall, you know, it, it's been handled pretty well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm actually reminded of the uh, the, the interview with with uh, Ray Courier from. Uh, Core Plus. We were talking about the importance of reaching out to your mortgage servicer if you do have an issue ahead of time, um, yeah. and the value of working with someone local who will actually answer the phone as opposed to a you know national hedge fund or something. Um, as local credit unions and banks are more more willing to work with you and figure out if, if you if you get sick, if you get un- unexpectedly laid off, whatever you can call them and they they want to help as opposed to um, some of the more Bureaucratic institutions that are just saying, where's my money? Where's my money?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to understand as well, I mean, there is a good, there's a good chunk of those. I mean, not a good chunk, but there is a, a percentage of those people that have entered forbearance that are still paying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was, it was close to 5 million people that had applied um, for the forbearance. I mean, it's a lot of people, but if, you know, you have to fact, you have to account for the amount of people who are still paying the mortgage. And, you know, it, yep. it's, if, if you're not sure, it's a smart thing to do if you're not sure if you're going to, going to be able to pay your mortgage then, you know, you know, certain people, you know, should apply for it if they need it, but if you can make that payment, you know, make the payment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, under promise and over-deliver, you're saying. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um so is there anything else you'd like to share on the topics of, of real estate investing or anything else? I could talk
0: about real estate all, all day honestly. <laughs> um uh Yeah, I mean, wherever you want to take the show, you can switch gears if you want to, but um I would say right now, I mean, the, the, the market and kind of the mystic areas, I think we touched on it a little bit recently or mm-hmm. earlier, but, um, you know, we're seeing the numbers pick up. I mean, April, we saw a pretty big hit in terms of new listings, uh, new listings were down, were down 50, almost 60% in like a New London County, which was a little higher than I was you know, hoping for. I knew there was going to be a hit obviously. Um, mm-hmm. um, but we did see, you know, it was about a 60% drop in new listings. And then the main numbers came out recently and May, you know, we definitely saw uh, more traction in May and, you know, obviously the sales are going to be a correlation of new listings. So May sales were down much more than they were in April, but that's, you know, partly because the new listings were down so much in April. Um, Mm -hmm. We did see May coming back stronger. So, you know, you would expect, you know, the June number of sales to be back uh, on track a little more. Um, and then I think the big thing is the number of new showings. I put a chart out in a video I did recently um, that kind of had the number of showings that were going on. And um, there's an app called Showing Time that real estate agents use, and it's the an app everybody uses to kind of go see houses. And um, there was just a huge drop right around early mid March, and I like think a couple of weeks ago it kind of it was a V-shaped, and it kind of it's right back up to where it's supposed to be. So you know, and that's it's all natural. I mean, people had no idea what was going on, and mm-hmm. uh, they did not want to have people in their house, right? So, just showings just completely dropped. But I mean, those looking at the numbers now, those are really back on track where they're supposed to be.
1: There you go. And you know, why do you think people pulled pulled out of the market in terms of their their listings? Was it that they just didn't want people in their house, or was it that they were afraid they wouldn't get a good good price for their homes, or or what, what, what I, do you think the reasoning was?
0: I think there's probably, there's, I mean, I, mostly if it's owner occupied, they just didn't want people in their house. I mean, that's, that's okay. definitely the root cause. That's, I mean, I think the the, the, the showing chart is definitely a, um, kind of the answer to that. Um, right now, I mean, supply is definitely still lower than it typically is. It is coming back up right now, but um, there's just hesitancy. There's fear and there's hesitancy. And what it's causing right now is what we're seeing in in those in that three four bedroom house in that desirable area they're going quick right now and Mm -hmm. and um, that's what happens whenever you have you know that that lower supply and demand went down but i think what's keeping demand alive right now is those low interest rates and i'm sure everyone's heard a million times about those low interest rates um but that's a big deal when you're talking about a 30-year investment um so if if people right now have jobs and they can buy and they've been looking to buy for a while, you know, a lot of their competition just got eliminated and inventory went down. Um, but we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of quick sales where houses on the market for two or three days and there's multiple offers and, and sellers are asking for a final investment within a couple of days.
1: That's that's quite a thing, yeah. Yeah, and I imagine probably most sellers who pulled out of the market because they were cautious or were informed that it's time to get back in because, because buyers are out there with cash in their hands.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what's happening. And, um, I think really the main driver of that, of still having that demand right now is those rates staying low and uh, based on everything I've read, I, 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 everything, everyone's kind of seeing rates are going to be staying low for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it could go, I mean, looking at it it's all gonna there's so many factors um, it, it's hard that you nobody know, can predict what's gonna happen but I could see you know if these if for some reason these forbearance payments can't get paid back um, I can see banks needing to find a way to make up for that loss um, hmm. who knows what the answer is gonna be I'm sure there'll, there'll be a, there'll be a bailout and, and and they're still they're doing these deferment programs so um, there's a lot of options but from what I've seen what I've read, it, it's looking like, it's w- looking like rates are going to stay low for, for quite a while.
1: Okay. So then that's going to keep, uh, keep injecting energy into the, the market, which is always a, a positive thing. Exactly. They yep. buy, buy houses, they buy furniture, they buy movers, they buy all kinds of ancillary purchases. So right.
0: That's why, you Not know, if I'm sorry. a seller and I try, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to steer anybody in a certain direction, you know buy or sell. I just like to, you know, be informative. Um but you know, from a buyer's sp- or from a seller perspective, obviously it's an excellent time to sell based on what we had just talked about. And from a buyer standpoint, you know, yeah, rates are low right now. Um, you know, kind of the big fear about buying now is if rates go even lower, which obviously um you to know, missed out on the low rate. Um but you can always refinance in the future. Um yeah. so there's there's options there. Um but at the end of the day it's it's um it's it's ever changing. <laughs> Well,
1: very good. Well, this has been an informative conversation about real estate. And uh, as we were talking about before, we've, we're now the, the third person in the real estate world that I've interviewed. So I'm um, building up quite a library of interstate, uh, interstate, real estate knowledge. I don't I don't know anyone from the interstate industry, but uh, plenty of people in the real estate industry with some, some great knowledge there. So thank you very much for sharing and really appreciate you coming on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you, Michael. I appreciate you reaching out. And I'm I'm glad we uh, crossed paths at that yeah, the virtual winery tour. That was, that was a good time. And-
1: Absolutely. And if so somebody does want to get in touch with you, how would they you have a website or how how would they find you?
0: Yeah, so my number eight six zero nine four one nine seven seven nine. I'm on uh Facebook, Instagram, you I have a little YouTube channel. I try to, you know, put out information. Um and then my website, Tyler Hesper at or Tyler Tyler Hesper dot Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Properties dot com. Um, right. Google, Google my name and you'll uh, something will pop up. <laughs>
1: Very good. Well, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful day, and thanks for being on the show.
0: Yeah, same to you. Thank you very much, Michael.
1: One thing I appreciate with all the small business owners I have the honor to connect with is the spirit of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs are people who see an opportunity and go for it. Sometimes successful, sometimes not, but the best are always reaching for the brass ring, This is one of the things that makes our country great, an indomitable spirit of always seeking the next opportunity. The more of our people have access to these kinds of opportunities and the encouragement to pursue them, the greater our nation can be. In my work as a business coach, author, podcaster, and speaker, I am always trying to educate and encourage people from all backgrounds to reach for that brass ring and find the opportunity that still exists here in America. With all the changes in the world, I've been doing a lot of work with people to help them clarify their goals and develop a game plan to thrive in the COVID and post-COVID world. If you feel you would benefit from such a conversation, please visit com and click the calendar link to schedule a call with me. I am also available to speak to groups, virtually when necessary, and in person when it is safe to do so. I do not charge to speak to educational, and nonprofit audiences in New London County. You can contact me about speaking through my website as well. If you know someone has a story to share or something to teach, I'd love to have them on the show. Email me at michael at com. The Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast is produced and hosted by Michael Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music and sound effects are from Benjamin Harvey Design by way of freesound.org and filmmusic.io. Special thanks to Pat Helmers of Habanero Media for all the great advice he gave me on relaunching the show. Find me on the web at www.guywhonowsaguy.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash And now on TikTok at guy. Please share links to the show with friends you think would enjoy it. This is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, reminding you that it's not what you know, it's who you know, and how much you're willing to help them. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to, to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, -connect jv-connect.com. That's jv-connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.